Hello and welcome to More Than Miscellaneous, a miscellany news production. I'm your host, Dean Kapitsky, former managing editor. We have a new slot for More Than Miscellaneous, 11 a.m. on Wednesdays weekly, but we'll be coming back to you this semester with all the goodies on Vassar News, what students are doing. Um, and we're, today we're going to introduce something a little new. We're having two students talk about their expertise and their knowledge in uh, world affairs and, and current affairs, a little bit beyond the scope of Vassar. Um, first, we're going to have Max Van Dyke talking about vaccine technology and building upon mRNA technology that has been so effective in uh, stemming the COVID pandemic. And then later on in the program, we'll be joined by Liam Mannion, uh, senior. He is talking about his thesis in American studies about Russian disinformation and Facebook and the ramifications for that uh, going forward with election integrity in the United States. So first we'll play you out with Father Coy, Dream Girl as always, and then we'll bring Max in. Thanks so much for coming in today. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So right off the bat, can you just explain how a standard or conventional vaccine is produced? Yeah, so the standard method for producing vaccines, which we've been using for about the past 40, 50 years, has been to take an undifferentiated cell or differentiated cell uh, out, of a, out of a human and to inoculate it with a uh, virus, the sequence for a virus, and then it allows the virus to grow and replicate. And then we're able to inactivate that virus um, over time. And then we inject that inactivated virus into um, a person. And then your immune system will produce a response to an inactivated virus, thereby allowing for you to build immunity. Gotcha. And so we kind of talk about like these systems, like we're aware of our immune system and we'll, we're kind of aware of cells. And if you remember like cell structure from eighth grade bio. Uh, what are like the, the building blocks uh, of what scientists and doc and researchers use to build these vaccines? Are you referring to the old generation or the new generation? Uh, the old generation then maybe bring us into the new horizon. Yeah, so with the old generation, it was really just about taking out the DNA sequence or the RNA sequence that was contained within the virus and injecting that into cells and then it goes to your ribosome, which is where your uh, cell synthesizes proteins. And so that specific mRNA sequence will be able to produce a specific uh, shape of a virus. And then that's what you'll produce the antibodies to in the old generation. With the new generation, we've eliminated the need for a, a whole cell to actually deliver an inactivated cell to deliver that mRNA. And now what we do is we're able to just inject the mRNA specifically into your uh, cells, and that is then translated into a protein in your ribosome, and then that protein is what you produce the antibody response against. Okay, and what is um, a protein and what is mRNA? Sure, sure. Give it so, so an mRNA is essentially, you can think of it as a template that corresponds, that has all of these different base pairs to them. If you remember from eighth grade bio, there's 
A, T, C, and G. And these are just uh, specific molecules that link together in some specific order. And those will translate into a specific protein sequence. And then the properties of that protein, so whether or not the amino acids that the mRNA corresponds to are polar, nonpolar, or charged, will fold into a specific shape. And the specific shape will determine the function. That's sort of the... Um, central theme of biochem is, is shape determining function. Mm. And so with these new mRNA vaccines, what is the, the scope? Is there a technological advantage beyond specifically COVID-19? So with mRNA vaccines, um, mRNA technology was first observed to be isolated and be able to produce proteins um, in, 19, in the 1980s. Uh, there was a famous researcher who was able to inject mRNA into a human cell and produce a specific desired protein. And so from there, we were able to um, deduce that we should be able to do this for just about any protein that we want. But actually, let me back up. So... You, talked, you said this was started in the 1980s. Was this technology sort of right on time for COVID? Was it uh, accelerated or what, was it a little behind? Right. So oftentimes in science, uh, the need for things to develop quickly overlaps with a political agenda. So, for example, if you look at the Apollo program, that arose mainly because of tensions with the USSR. Um, and so in the case of COVID-19, you can argue that, and I would argue that mRNA technology took off largely because uh, politicians incentivized the economy to reopen. Um, and, that, and that was the ultimate reason that we see this explosion of mRNA and all these technologies coming uh, during the COVID pandemic. Science needs sort of a, a, a kick in the butt in some cases, and it, it, it can accomplish some incredible things. Is there like another technology medical technology you're you have your eye on right now that that might i don't know if a, a pandemic would be the boost it needs but is, is there something that's right on the horizon right so i think the development of even better vaccines uh which is what i wrote about in this article that we're gonna put in the misc um is probably the most important thing that should be developed because it will allow us to prevent allow us to prevent future pandemics and um, hopefully the uh, the momentum carries forward as it has with mRNA vaccines. Hopefully the momentum continues to carry so that we can produce the whole new lines of nanoparticle vaccine. Okay, so what is a nanoparticle vaccine? Sure. So the um, so in order to introduce nanoparticle vaccines, I'll have to describe why mRNA vaccines fall short okay. and why there's a need. And so the problem with an mRNA vaccine is that we're producing uh, the entire spike protein found on the virus, uh, COVID-19, and we do not need to be producing antibodies to that entire spike protein. We need to be producing antibodies to or against a specific region on the protein. And so in order to do that, we need to isolate this specific region. There's no biological process by which we can do that and by which we can produce an immune response. So what researchers have hypothesized is that we could actually synthetically make this specific sequence and attach it to a weakened or dead virus, and then we will produce response to that. And so therefore we will have more effective antibodies. Is the trial for this development different from other types of trials? You mentioned a dead or aging virus. What is it? 
What is a dead and aging virus? Right. So we have um, been able to weaken a number of viruses, typically those that cause common cold symptoms, uh, like adenoviruses, for example, which is what's used in the J&J vaccine. We're able to attach things to those as well. And so in this case, we're simply just taking a weakened common cold and we're attaching a protein to it that we can then produce response against. Is it like reverse engineering the whole sequence to find the specific piece that you need to target medically? Yeah, it could be thought of that way. Okay. Wow, that's So basically, the whole history of vaccines up to this point has kind of been inefficient. Yeah, correct. That's uh, been the case. And we're starting to move to an age where we're no longer going to have to have our bodies produce any sort of response other than the antibody response. So in the case of mRNA vaccines, um, we would have to first translate the mRNA into a protein and then produce a response. In the past, we would actually have to remove someone's cells and have it grow. We're starting to move into an age where we can do it all synthetically, and it'll just be one step. Would you still need human subjects in the trial, or are you just working with uh, viruses in a Petri dish? Yeah, so the typical um, sequence of events there would be that you start in a Petri dish in vitro, and then you move into mice, and then you move into non-human primates, and then you can move into humans. With the mRNA vaccines, we actually skipped or overlapped most of those steps. Um, which was, I was sort of skeptical at first, but it turns out to have been a pretty good move. Um, but you will still have to have clinical trials in all of those areas in these new vaccines. Mm. What are the technological hurdles at the moment for this um, new form of vaccine? Yeah, so uh, the main technological hurdle is being able to produce enough of these specific regions on the spike protein that you're isolating. Uh, that's pretty complicated to do just because proteins don't always fold the way you want. And in order to mass produce, you have to have a pretty large budget and a pretty large supply of the material. And so that's been the biggest hurdle so far. Okay, so more funding. More funding. Basically. Right. Uh, and what um, horizons could this new form of vaccine be applicable to? Is it COVID? Is it coronavirus? Sure. So in theory, we could be be able to produce uh, this new wave of vaccines for any given virus. Uh, mainly the influenza virus would be the first most important to, um, to target due to the fact that it's endemic. We see it every year. It mutates pretty fast. Uh, and so we could see a large-scale efficacy trial with uh, the influenza virus if we were able to we were able to inoculate a certain amount of the population. Okay. What is influenza? So influenza is just a family of virus, like coronavirus or like adenovirus, and it refers to uh, just a specific family. Um, and so in order to be within a specific family, you have to have a certain structure, and that structure has to be similar to other viruses within the same family, and you can have variants within a family. So as long as you resemble the family enough but have a different number of mutations you're you're now deemed a variant okay and every year we see a new variant of influenza virus it mutates pretty quickly and we've seen of course about four different variants for coronavirus already yeah so just to back up you're basically saying 
that we could have a vaccine that's universal to a family of infections. Right. So that would lead to the next part of vaccine development, which is trying to target universal vaccines. And so in order to do that, you want to uh, vaccinate people against conserved sections of viruses. The problem with that is oftentimes conserved sections are not very attractive to our antibodies and to our immune system. And so we somehow have to generate a response to an unattractive piece of the virus. And so researchers have thought of several different methods. And one method is just to take a conserved portion, attach it to a nanoparticle that is a completely different virus, and then produce an immune response to that specific conserved section that you attached. Okay. Have they tried like dry humor or, or like maybe like cologne? Or something? <laughs> uh, I mean, Trump did suggest that we inject bleach, but I don't really know if any of that worked out. It's funny, like, you, we think about all the stuff that we heard in the, in the beginning of the pandemic from that administration and how there's like, I remember he was talking about like sunlight makes the virus go away. Right. But in a way, it's like we've seen patterns that in the winter it goes up, in the summer people are outside, it goes down. It's like weird like how the conventional wisdom has changed. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Trump was guessing on most things that right. that he said. Um, <laughs> however, there have been plenty of scientists who have also had to work with data that was preliminary. And I mean, we remember at the beginning of the pandemic, Dr. Fauci said you don't need masks. Right. Um, that was, of course, erroneous, but but he did correct it over time. I don't know if Trump would would do the same. <laughs> Um, but it is true that in the summer, UV light and a mixture of heat uh, is typically pretty bad for a virus. Huh. Uh, it just depends on the strength of the virus. So with COVID, we've seen that it's still able to spread, whereas I doubt you know many people have gotten the flu in the summer. Interesting. Yeah, there is like a flu season. Right. Yeah. Okay. My American Studies brain is trying to keep up right now. But um, where I'm curious, like, where are you getting your COVID news from these days? Who's who's doing good work explaining this to mass audiences? Yeah, so the CDC is doing a pretty good job of being able to explain uh, the vaccine, I'd say. If you go under their FAQs page, uh, you'll see quite a few different different questions that are, that are pretty well answered. Um, in terms of numbers, John Hopkins puts out uh, pretty good numbers every week and sometimes every day. Um, and yeah, I'd say those are the two main sources I've been looking at. Are there uh, any lingering misunderstood, um, ideas about COVID that, that you see repeated in, in, uh, the media or among friends or students? So the number one thing that I've heard is the idea that a COVID vaccine can alter your DNA. And that is absolutely not true. It is true that if you received the J&J &J vaccine, that you did have DNA enter your nucleus. You had a DNA of a virus. However, if you were to catch COVID-19, you would have the RNA from COVID entering your nucleus and actually replicating itself and destroying your cells. So I think that's a much worse situation than inducing an antibody response. Interesting. So how does uh, 
COVID operate in an unvaccinated body versus a vaccinated body? Sure. So if we're looking at an unvaccinated body, it's just like any virus. It's going to come in. It's going to attach to your cells via your spike protein and thereby gaining entry to your cells. It then goes into your nucleus, the nucleus of your cell, and begins to replicate itself. And then in order to get out of your cell, it actually bursts your cell open. And so then it's just going to continue that cycle until you've produced enough of a response to fight it off. Or if you're unlucky, you don't. And unfortunately, you die. Um, and in vaccinated individual, it's the same uh, process. However, you're likely to have antibodies and a killer T cell response already mounted against the virus. And so you're going to greatly reduce the chance of that virus being able to replicate by an exponential amount. Hmm. That's really interesting. So... The vi you, you lose to the virus, you die, basically by losing the, the battle of attrition between cells. Like, what is that actually? Like, people end up in ICUs on ventilators. What causes the symptoms? Right, so what causes, like, pneumonia? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, sure. What, what sure. causes the, the symptoms that lead to hospitalization? Or sure, so anytime you mount an immune body, uh, antibody response, your body is going to increase uh, your temperature in order to fight off the the virus and that's what we were talking about with the summer season right heat destroys the virus and so your body's going to raise your temperature uh you'll get body aches just from having this stimulation of your uh, immune system sort of like if you were to work out or something you would be sore the next day it's it's the same process there um as far as these more intense uh symptoms like if you were to have pneumonia that's actually from the coronavirus entering into uh, your lung cells and being able to destroy those. And you begin to fill with fluid. Your lungs begin to fill with fluid, that is. Going back to vaccine technology, how far away are these I ideas, the universal vaccine technology the, that you're talking about? So universal vaccine, vaccine technology in influenza specifically has just entered human phase one trials. Mm -hmm. So it's been tested in vitro in mice and monkeys, mm -hmm. and it's shown to be safe and somewhat effective, although e efficacy is hard to measure in uh, humans when you've only tested it in mice. Uh, there's a different antibody response. There's a, we're talking about a whole different species, so um, it's not easy to know whether or not it's working, but it is safe, and it has entered phase one clinical trials in humans. And so if that can proceed the way the COVID vaccines proceeded, it would likely be produced or approved, that is, within uh, a year or two. However, I believe only 5% of most vaccines actually make it from phase one all the way to the end, um, and even less make it out of simply like the mice and uh, non-human -primate, non primate studies. So it's already gotten part of the way there, but it's still up against, I think, like 5% odds at this point. Wow. Which makes the current COVID vaccines that much more impressive. Right. Yeah. The fact that we were able to take the sequence of coronavirus, COVID-19, as quickly as we did to be able to produce uh, this technology, which we had never really completely taken all the way before in under a year and approved the vaccine and have a significant um, supply of it is easily one of the top three uh, greatest scientific achievements of all time. What are the top other top three? Um, 
It's debatable, but I'd say uh, Gleevec, which is a famous cancer drug for leukemia, mm. was in the top three. Um, I'd also say some research on uh, GFP, which stands for, for green fluorescent protein, was pretty cool. And uh, CRISPR technology is, is getting there. It's coming along. So What's CRISPR? CRISPR uh, Cas9 is the genetic tool which allows us to go in and actually edit your DNA. And so we can probe for specific gene sequences. So let's say a gene needs uh, three letters, G-A-C, and you have G-A-U. You can actually change that U to be C, and then you have the gene. That's wild. What about chicken soup? Where is that? <laughs> uh, I'd say that's like five, five or six. Yeah. It's an oldie but a goodie. So this technology Will it always have to be administered, you know, the shot in the arm way that we've been hearing about? Right, sure. So there are proposals that uh, talk about making a nasal spray, which is effectively a vaccine you can think of it as. Um, however, the best way to induce a response is to inject directly into the muscle. So uh, as far as I can see, we'll be, we'll be using needles. Yeah, when I read your piece, I was like, whoa, nasal sprays that's super interesting but i remember a long time ago i got a, a flu nasal spray right yeah we've had flu nasal sprays before um however it, it, it's still not as as efficacious as using an injection um but in that piece the uh, nasal spray was actually a whole new technology um that was that was a new technology being proposed by a lab uh, out in washington that has to do with uh, injecting, or not injecting, but rather spraying uh, antibodies directly into your system mm. against um, an isolated portion of viral matter that would allow us to prevent future pandemics. Okay. Well, that's fascinating and above my head. Um, but Max, um, this is all super interesting. Thank you for talking about this and writing about this in the MISC. This yeah, is, this thanks for having me. Yeah, it's not normal that we have like vaccine expertise in a student newspaper. Um, so, so thank you. Is there any COVID predictions? When's like when's the pandemic gonna end? In your expert opinion? Um, that's a good question. I think uh, I think most are predicting it to end within the next year. Uh, however, I'm a bit more pessimistic, and I think that we'll see COVID become a bit more endemic before we can eliminate it. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that'll be a seasonal. A seasonal vex, um, virus. Uh, but I would expect by the end of the decade, we'll see pretty low deaths of, of COVID and um, a return to normalcy as long as another pandemic doesn't, doesn't crop up somewhere. As long as another pandemic doesn't crop up somewhere. Well, that's hopeful. Um, okay, Max, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks. Hey. Thank you, Max Van Dyke, for coming in talking vaccines. Now we're going to bring it uh, to Liam Mannion, uh, American Studies senior. He's writing his thesis on disinformation, psychology, uh, social media, basically every issue afflicting democracy in the 21st century. So with that, Liam, thanks for coming. Hey Dean, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm ready to get bummed out. So, <laughs> what's the pitch? What's yeah. what's your thesis about? So I'll give the quick elevator pitch. Um, so it takes these three tenets, right? 
um, it takes affect theory from sociology, and then it takes individual differences in personality from psychology, which kind of encompasses emotions. Um, and then lastly, it takes uh, digital propaganda, which is essentially just like social media, social media marketing. Um, and I'm taking these three tenets and kind of uniting them uh, in the scope of the 2016 election, uh, specifically with this firm called Cambridge Analytica, which was essentially hired by um, Trump as well as Ted Cruz to construct psychometric profiles of people, uh, which is kind of a big word for saying just taking people's traits and trying to predict their behaviors with that. And so basically what my thesis is trying to say is that them being able to do that was more essentially a result from social structures as opposed to like inherent individual differences. And so I'm so I'm trying to trace like a through line of events that have happened in America in the last like 20 years to kind of what we're seeing with data technology because people forget that like data is essentially just people you know what i mean people think that like because data tends to be viewed like in an empirical sense that like it has to be analyzed empirically and sometimes like it's better to analyze it through like a sociological like structural lens mm. so w what are some of the other events in american history you're looking at so i'm kind of looking at things like how like um bush's pr campaign with like wmds sort of like the iraq war um, the Great Recession uh, and how these kind of affected people on a grand scheme in terms of things that usually get boiled down to an individual like individualistic level, kind of like anxieties, depression, sort of anger. Um, and really, like, I do believe that those sort of phenomena are not like people. People can experience them um, more or less based on neurobiology um but they're structural forces and they have to do with like your demographic beyond simply just an individual difference lens which i think is where psychology takes us a lot mm. i'm, I'm kind of hearing like a uh, tension between individual difference where you're talking about uh and these structures like in america capitalism and and human psychology it's like what i'm hearing is like this is a like an investigation of agency yes it is absolutely an investigation of agency and sort of class consciousness um and sort of all sorts of consciousness the best way to describe it is um there's this guy named ian burkett uh he teaches over in the uk and he sort of wrote this little made-up story about it and he was like there was this guy in england and his wife was kind of sitting somewhere um, on a train, he was sitting next to his wife on a train, and someone, he was lower class, and someone from the upper class sat down in the seat thinking that it was their seat, and this man just, like, socked her in the face, right, after she stole the seat, um, and that would seem like, like an out-of-proportion reaction, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you were looking at that through a psychological lens, you would think, okay, this guy's just an angry person, like he's predisposed to violence, maybe you could look at tropes of masculinity, but what you're forgetting is about class relations, condescension, that's like informing that, right? So like, is this guy inherently more violent than anybody else? I don't really think that looking at like neurobiology is an accurate or like fulfilling way to look at something like that at all. I think that it's like, 
you have to zoom out your scope and look at class tensions in the UK to understand why things like that are happening. And sort of when you swing it back to data, like a data company might look at that and be like, okay, this person's like more predisposed to violence. Mm -hmm. So if we kind of throw violent imagery at their face constantly via Facebook, Instagram, whatever, then we can get them, we can manipulate their behavior to go swing a certain way. Um, but when you're trying to reverse, like deconstruct that, right, which is essentially what I'm trying to do, you just can't use psychology because it has such like at least individual differences in personality psychology because it's kind of like the buck stops here, you know? It's like the buck stops with like, okay, like this person's just different. It's inherently different. Okay, so what's your opinion on what is behind human behavior in, in the American sense? Is it negotiate? Is is it um, a product of capital living under capitalism? Is it a product of social factors? What exactly is is your idea of human behavior from this research? Yeah, my like my idea of human behavior, um, kind of as well as personality um, and individual differences is that it's simply just like a repercussion a repercussion of the conditions under which you live um under which you're born and like under which you learn i i don't think there's maybe people people are always discussing like the nature nurture debate or whatever um and if if you're breaking it down to like percentages which is kind of silly but i really wouldn't give like f more than 5 or 10% to like inherently who you are um because at the end of the day, like you can trace back behaviors to like neuro, like neuroanatomy, neurobiology. Um, but at the end of the day, like what's shaping those pathways is what you learn from the conditions around you. I don't like I don't think there's anything different among different people. Like it, there, it wouldn't make sense. Like why we have so many different cultures and so many different ways of interpreting things. Like it's just another symptom of like especially in Western and, like, American culture, like, people really trying to box people in um, and people really trying to, like, make sense of things in ways that they really can't be made sense of and, like, establishing binaries where they don't need to be. And you see that in all sorts of life. You see that, like, with gender. You see that, you know, like, all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything inherent to it. Um, and... Like, I get that people are going to disagree with that, especially people that are, like, you know, like, new to the concept. But the more that I've sat with it, the more that I've, like, been pretty reassured by that. So what then it, what, what accounts for individual differences? Because, I mean, we all have different behaviors. Like, we're not all wearing yeah. the same shirts and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that what accounts for individual... Like, so an individual difference or something, like, I wouldn't think of it m as much as, like, okay, like, what kind of music you're into? Like, that is kind of an individual difference, but it traces back to these, like, core traits that get studied, like, in psychology, like, something like aggression, um, the big five theory. Um, of personality. Yeah, of personality. And, like, that's kind of... And I, th I essentially think that, like, what accounts for that is, like, your exposure um, to different, like, value systems, which are inherently, like, tied to culture. For instance, so extroversion is one of the big five personality factors, right? And extroversion is just so inherently tied to, like, 
hegemonic like American capitalism personality construction. Like we want extroverted people mm. in capitalist society. You, it's it like fits the mold. You want the uh, high school quarterback, the cool like the person that all movies are about, right? So like people people strive to be that subconsciously. I think without even really being like that and that just gets artificially rewarded and I think it even is baked into why that's one of the big five personality demographics is like you have to think back to like most people that are creating these systems these like typology systems um most of them are like going to be white dudes and like we all know how effectively those people can analyze society at a grand level right right so you mentioned earlier data collection and and we think of data as objective but Mm -hmm. people data as people like you said and and our innovators are the same people that are you know mark zuckerberg and all these tech guys they all come from the same institutions right so yeah absolutely there you go so exactly yeah (laughs) so exactly so it's interesting because it's an infrastructure right like the only thing that you consider uh infrastructure you think of buildings you think of everything like that but the social media world is an infrastructure and there has to be rules and regulations and it's set up in like a distinctive way and in the same way that like physical buildings physical structures can be inaccessible to people um or prove to have like just specific issues um the same exact thing can happen in like the digital atmosphere um, because there's just zero regulation of it. And you have to imagine like if you're getting someone to program all of that, that just hasn't taken ethics courses is exactly as you said, like usually uh, upper middle class white dude from like the Silicon Valley area. Like you're not going to get, inclusivity at all and it's gonna turn out and have these grand like negative repercussions and it's just about like checks you know what i mean it's like this company cambridge analytica was meddling in kind of elections in like the caribbean um in africa well before they tested it on america and with brexit and like that's neo-colonialism that's data colonialism that's there's no other way to phrase that you know what i mean that's all it is and there's nobody checking that. Like, there's nobody There's nobody saying they can't do that except for the people that are the victims of it. And it's like, it just proves that we're, we're going in a direction. Like, we're going in a direction as a society, society towards, like, a digital atmosphere, digital, digital, like, ecosystem. You see this with, like, the metaverse, which nobody can really understand or explain what that is. <laughs> but the problem is, is, like, we're going to start seeing neocolonialism in the fucking metaverse, you know? It's, it's insane to imagine that you can take these sort of racial um, injustices and essentially program them into your computers and into, like, virtual reality. And you're seeing this with policing and sort of you're seeing this with artificial intelligence at like a larger level and the last thing is like you're seeing this with data and who's targeting you and who's getting targeted and exactly how they're reversing that and reconstructing it um to literally sway elections um which is the core of democracy you know what i mean it's like if you can't have a fair election you don't have a democracy um there's a lot of things that make it so that you can't have a democracy especially with 
PR propaganda, but it's like if you can use propaganda that effectively to sway an election, which I do believe happened in 2016 with Cambridge Analytica, like you don't have a democracy anymore. And that's what we have to worry about like in the upcoming years. Right. Like democracy relies on reason. It relies on people working with the understanding that everyone's coming from the same set of beliefs and backgrounds. Exactly. So how does data and how does social media exploit um, the fact that that doesn't really exist in America? I mean, I think it's like you see these just insane propaganda machines running sort of on billionaires' dime, like Fox. Um, Cambridge Analytica itself was funded by Robert Mercer, who is sort of a financial analyst in the grandest sense he was the first person to actually use algorithms to per, like construct portfolios um and it's just it, it proves that like we live <clears throat> in completely different informational worlds like people live in completely different realities which are just a direct construction out of capitalism um like the american hyper capitalism and you sort of see that people are not coming from the same same worlds when they're trying to communicate with each other. Like you, you can look at interviews that take place at like Trump rallies and like these people, people forget that they like the left a lot, I think, dehumanizes the right. And I think that everybody is like a victim to their circumstances. Um, and that's not to like I'm not trying to be an apologist for like what can essentially turn into like a very dangerous movement. I'm not trying to be an apologist for that, but it's fruitless to look at that without an understanding of the social background that is informing those structures, those people like that, those people like are really believe. And it's like, it's like, it's easy to come from a privileged background and kind of like be woke or whatever you want to call it. There's a reason that like, university private universities private colleges like are hyper liberal and like there's a reason that like the more like the like kind of more educated you get the more liberal you get and that's like very tied to class and i don't think like that doesn't enter the mainstream conversation enough is how like like the right and the left it's like the democrats have so traditionally been the party kind of of the people but now that like there's a giant group of like lower class white americans that are like f falling victim to this like extremely harmful ideology it's kind of like flipping the party system on its head and i wouldn't be surprised if like in the next 20 years we start to see like the republican party become the party of the people and the democratic party like solidify itself as the party of the elite if it really isn't already, you know, and it's like, it's the point, And that was kind of like a tangent, but the point there is that people, people live in entirely different universes on their phones, on their computers. Um, the information, yeah, you can only intake a certain amount of information. And the end of the day, like the psychological truth is that if I shove a narrative down your throat 24 seven, you're just going to believe that it's not, it's not a question of your intellect, your ability. It's like if you have been sort of primed, if you have been manipulated, 
to experience a state of anger or aggression, something that is moldable, there's like a pathway idea of like this, once you're on the hot pathway, you're not thinking as hard, which is what all modern day marketing and propaganda relies on is that state that people exhibit. If you're in that state and people shove information in your face, down your throat, you're going to get things like an insurrection on the Capitol. Like, mm -hmm. it's like you're going to get things that are just people not believing that Biden won the election. And that's not really, I like, the the media machine in America, it's like media and capitalism are so cable, connected. subscription-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, it's like, this anti-intellectualism, it's like, it's not really, I think, people's, I don't think people have as much agency in it as people think when they sort of throw out blame. So. Well, yeah, and you start seeing it with COVID and the anti-health expert trend. Um, yeah. Even, like, this was not an issue we always hear. I, I think it's also, um, you might disagree, but it's a problem on the left, too. Like, you, you can see it, speaking of social media, like on Twitter, like, there's a certain shared language or knowledge background that people work from to sort of get whatever, like to, to, to make points, very like quick um, takedowns or whatever, like hot yeah. takes, you know, yeah. like th that, that just occurs. And it's, you know, there's truth in, you know, one of these tweets are on the left or, or maybe the right as well. Um, but it's, it, I say, I bring that up to show that there is like a, an information stream that we take for granted. So what um, issues specifically are going to be like, that get politically exploited? Like, um, like we talk about abortion a lot. We talk about um, gun rights and, and yeah. things like that. I mean, <clears throat> I think that the kind of issue that's like being turned into an issue and what I think will be like very central to the next, the midterms, but also like the next presidential election is like the COVID's obviously going to be like the front of that. Um, but right behind it are things like critical race theory and turning woke culture into like kind of turning woke, woke culture into like weaponizing it politically. Um, and I think that that's like a direct repercussion of obviously the media people have been subjected to because like like if you're you know like if you're a, if you're a white american who watches fox 24 7 like you're going i think you're going to view woke culture as like threatening not only like who you are you're it's threatening everything you know and your way of life and that's the thing that, like, Fox so effectively does is community building through their news. Like, if you listen to Fox, which I honestly don't um, <laughs> ever, but if, you, if you're listening to it just to see if this is true, um, you're going to hear a lot of we, a lot of us coming, coming from people like Tucker Carlson and, like, what he's doing. It's like you have nothing in common with Tucker Carlson. Like if Dr. you're Carlson the says he's like he, he didn't go to Ivy League school, but he's the, the heir of a frozen fruit fortune. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like he's pra he's trying to like establish like class unconsciousness. You know, that's like his entire thing. Um, but yeah, 
What's up? I said a term. Oh yeah, yeah, a term. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like you you don't have anything. You don't have anything in common with him. But you're gonna turn on the TV and all you're gonna see is like, we are being attacked. We are this. We are that. Um. So I think that rhetoric is going to increase a lot. I think that like critical race theory, woke culture, um, and that's just the latest repercussion of like racism in the political sphere that we've seen forever in America. Um, America was founded on it, obviously. Like, so it's just interesting because that's turning that's that's fold like unfolding into data, and we need to check it before it gets just disgustingly out of hand which a lot of people would argue it already has is there uh like a parallel in american history with this amount of polarization from from new streams like obviously social media is a new thing but have we have we been this isolated before i don't know but the internet has made information so democratized um which is like why people i think are getting so like radicalized is because it's like the internet is the best tool for radicalization ever um and so i don't know if like people talk about that a lot like have we ever been this polarized and i'm like yeah probably you know what i mean like there was a civil war um (laughs) and like if i was like black in the 1800s i would probably be pretty polarized from the other side you know what i mean uh so i think people people forget people like that are kind of like boomers and a little bit younger i think romanticize this vision of america where people can sit down and have conversations with each other um and i think there's a hell of a lot of people in the country that just wouldn't ever want to go back to that and don't think that that accomplished much of anything. Um, And so the thing about the internet is like, it's a blessing and a curse because you can, it's like traditionally like academics and information has been so closed off and it's given it this like classist lens and it's so inaccessible. Um, but now that like the internet is open and democratized, it allows for radicalization, but then it also allows for like kind of a huge anti-class or anti-upper-class effort, um, which you see through things like Reddit uh, and kind of attacks on like the financial system, which like are like people's movements at their core. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, Liam, thanks so much for talking about this. This is super fascinating and. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this a lot with uh, the midterms coming up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. This was super fun. Absolutely. You're also part of a Vassar band, um, and we'll play you out with. Uh, <laughs> this is Yarn with Pretty Girl. <laughs>